0: What's up, fam? Welcome back to Whoa, That's Good Wednesday. Hope everybody is having a great week. It is about to get better because we have an awesome guest today on the podcast. We have Heather Thompson Day. Let me just tell you a little bit about Heather. She has a podcast called Viral Jesus. She is an associate professor of communications at Andrews University. I mean, that is pretty cool right there. She also runs an online community called I'm That Wife, which her Instagram on that page is hilarious. I was reading through it today and I was like, I am that wife and she is the <laughs> author of seven books, including her new book I have right here, here. I will see you tomorrow. Heather's incredible. And I'll just tell you how she got on this podcast, if not for all the reasons she should have already been on this podcast with her books and all the things that she does. But I actually happened to be on her podcast whenever I was promoting Who Are You Following? And as we were having the conversation, I was actually so impacted by her. And I said, you got to be on my podcast. And so here we are circling back to that moment. Heather thanks for saying yes to being on this podcast. And seriously, you do so much good. And even just studying for this podcast uh, was a joy to get to dive into all the things that you're doing. So well done and welcome. Thank you, Sadie. Happy to be here. Yes, you're awesome. Well, um, we have to start the podcast like I start every podcast. And that is asking you, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
1: Oh, um, so this is was deeply impactful to, to me. I was sitting in a class. And my professor of religion said, when it comes to marriage, if you get that one aspect of your life right, everything else can go wrong and none of it will matter. Wow. But when it comes to marriage, if you get that one aspect of your life wrong, everything else could go right and none of it will matter. And at that time I was engaged to be married and I ended up calling off my wedding
0: Wow! (laughs) because of that quote. Oh, deeply impactful in my life. Wow. That is so good. Like I can attest just being married. It's so true. When our marriage is thriving, like it really does not matter what else is going on in the world. Like my job could be hard. This could be hard, but like when our marriage is good, like it's great. But if our marriage is rocky or we're going through a hard time, it's like nothing else. Like I can't focus on anything else. Nothing else matters. Even if it's like success and this is like it just pales in comparison to the importance of that relationship being steady. And so that is such good advice. And then the fact that you heard that and took the action to go in yeah. it is just huge. So before we even get into anything else, we have to talk about this because, so, <laughs> because this is like huge because so many people, um, you know, when you get engaged, they, they fear breaking something like that off, but it's so important that you get that thing right. And so, um, I actually had it in to ask you, um, Literally towards the end of this podcast, but I'll ask you now, like when you're in a relationship and you know, it is not one that you need to stay in. How do you have the courage to get out like you did? Because that's a really, that's no small thing.
1: You know this is a true story. I didn't. Wow. So I called off that wedding two months before the wedding, but here's the truth of what happened is my dad was going out of town, and he said, "I just I have a bad feeling. I think you really need to pray about this." And he had never said anything negative about my fiance at that time wow. before. And they left. I was still living at my parents' house. I was 22, and I went into my room and I prayed, and I said, "God, this is the person I have chosen." If this is not the person that you've chosen for me, will you please end it? Because I don't think I can. And that was my prayer. And I'm not kidding. Within two minutes of saying that prayer, my phone rang and it was my incredible fiance and he was calling to break up with me. What? And we had not fought that day. I mean, we were kind of one of those pr- couples that like break up to make up to break up. It feels so <laughs> yeah, good yeah. to be in a relationship <laughs> so wrong. We were kind of one of those couples, but we weren't even fighting that day. And so I just knew he's going to call me back and try to get back together. But I knew that God was saying, the same Wow. And so I never went... Here's the truth too. That same night, I'm crying in my bed 2 a.m. And I say, God, can you just have mercy on me? I have all these bridesmaids that have dresses that they're not wearing. And I'm crying at 2 a.m. and my phone rings again. And it's I think it's my fiance calling to get back together with me. And I answer the phone and it's my husband, Seth Day, who wrote this book with me. Um, and I had given my, him my number two years prior. He never called me. He had a girlfriend. He calls me on the exact night I call off my engagement and I have been with him ever since. What? That is a true story.
0: What? This is the best start to any podcast I have ever had. This is crazy. So he just randomly
1: calls you. He kept my note with my number that I had actually passed to my mom to pass to him, which is horrible advice. Don't ever do that. (laughs) But he kept it for two years. Wow. And he randomly, he said, I felt like I should call you. And I'm sobbing in my bed. I, I didn't know. Like, it's not like the heavens parted and God of was course. like, this is your husband. Of course. That didn't happen. But I knew God had sent me a friend wow. in my loneliness. And he drove down the very next day and we went and sat at Lake Michigan and I just cried. And we talked. And then he came back the next week and then the next week and then the next weekend. Oh, and here's the thing, too, gosh. about my ex-fiance, I ended up having to get a restraining order against him. Oh so my in gosh. this particular situation, God absolutely, friend, does not always answer your prayers like that. But I do think in that situation, I think I could have been in very... I was ignoring a lot of red flags. Yeah, And I think God had to intervene,
0: Yeah, um, wow. else I might not be
1: here today. Wow. And so he
0: did. And... I'm grateful. That is incredible. I mean, even just a lesson and pray the bold prayers, you know, because I think so many of us, you said this before we got on the podcast and I'll just repeat it. You said so many people have bought this book and put it by their nightstand and they're scared to read it because it's a challenging message. And I think so many, in the same sense, so many people know they need to pray those prayers, but they're scared to pray them because if I pray it, then what if God does take away the fiance? But even if he does, look at what he had for your case hours later for some people you know it's time later but i think it's so it's so cool that you were able to pray that prayer and just in that initial willingness to surrender to god God kind of went before you and did the hard work. And I think sometimes God does do that. Not all the time. Sometimes God makes right. you go through it. But even with the prodigal son, I love the story about how he's coming back to the father and he was a long way off, but the father saw him. And I just think about how kind that was of God for the father to run after the son because the hardest part of the journey would have been for the son to have to knock on the door, you know, but yeah, but God met him before that. And so the fact that even your fiance broke up with you, that would have probably been the hardest part. But thank God that happened. And then your husband now calls you like that is just (laughs) like the craziest thing ever.
1: It is. But you know, from that story, I really believe that God wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. And that's something I now sit with my students. I mean, I can't even tell you, thousands of students that I get to sit with now and say, like, God wants you to pray about this relationship and he will intervene.
0: Wow. God hears you. That's cool. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. And I just have to say, I was in a relationship similar that you were in and how you said, you know, we break up to makeup. And I always said our <laughs> relationship was kind of like the song, like, I hate you. I love you. I hate that. I love you. Like all this stuff. And I'm like, if your relationship looks like that and you're dating, it that's not a healthy thing, you know? that. And I think it's good to just realize that's not the way that relationships were intended to be. I love with Christian that I just love him. You know, uh, yes. it's not, I love you and we're going to have all this drama. It's, I just love you. And it's a and for simple who you powerful are right now. Love. Yes. It's, it's so not, good.
1: I was always looking for potential. Yeah. And I remember my dad saying to me, stop looking at someone's potential. If nothing else ever changes, are you going to ha- be happy 10
0: years from now? Whoa, or just text WOE to 500-500. That's Audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E.com slash WOE or text WOE to 500-500 to try Audible for free for 30 days.
1: And that was very challenging to me because I I kept looking at all this wonderful potential that this person had.
0: Wow, Yep. Yeah, I, I did the same thing. That's so crazy. This is such good advice. Somebody's listening to this and we are jumping yeah. on your toes right now. And it's okay, You're, it's two sisters who have been there. So tell me about the process of writing this with your husband because me and my husband are writing a book together right now and it's been really awesome. It's been really sweet, but also challenging in some ways. I feel like uh, in some ways when we sit down to write, it feels like marriage counseling, you know, because- yeah. You can't give advice that you haven't kind of lived through and walked through. And so um, it's been good, though. But what was the process like for y'all writing this book?
1: You know what? We are totally different personalities and totally different lived experiences. And so I was intending to write the book alone. And I've been studying communication for over a decade. And I communication is the vehicle by which we experience relationship. The quality of your communication has a direct link to the quality of your life. This is research. This isn't my platitudes. And so I was like, I have to tell people about how important their relationships are because I think we're living in a culture that is very quick to block and mute. I think actually we're raising an entire generation, unfortunately, that has only heard I'm sorry and read it in a text message. Mm. Well, wow. what is the ramifications of that? If I, if people aren't even looking me in the eyes when they say it and I have to get a text about it. Wow. So I really want people to understand how important relationships are to how I now see my life. And so I'm telling all this to my husband. I'm excited. And he's like, Heather, it's not that easy.
0: Hmm. He's wow. like, it's not
1: that people don't want it. It's that we have experiences. It's going to make me cry because I know it, um, from his background, what he's talking about, but wow experiences that make it very hard for me to put myself out there again, experiences that make it very difficult for me to trust you, experiences where if you say something that triggers something from my past, I can't help it, I run. Like he said, people, it's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And And so as soon as he said that, I said, will you please write this book with me? Because it would be half a book if I only went through my life experiences. And I think there's so many people that would never relate to me and will only relate to Seth in this book. And so many people that wouldn't relate to Seth, but would relate to me.
0: That is so cool that y'all did that together. And I love that when you came to him, that would be so me and Christian, my excitement and passion. And I got this message and it's so good and blah. And then Christian be like, okay, so let's think about how, how does that relate yeah. to everybody? And I'm like, do we need to think about it? Okay. Yeah, we need to think about it. Right. And so I love that y'all even have that in your marriage and that y'all are creating this book together because it does bring two different perspectives that I'm sure just his side and your side deep in the book to a a place that it wouldn't just be with just one. That's why the Bible says two are better than one. And that's think when we come together, like it really is true. So I want to talk to you about the fact that you study communication for so many years, because even just saying that is like, it makes me want to sit with you all day and ask you a million questions. So what is that? What does that even look like? How did you get into that? And what does that look like to study that for so long?
1: Yeah. So a lot of people don't understand what communication is, but essentially I always say communication is relationship building. It is the study of how do I connect an organization to the target market that this organization is trying to reach? How do I connect people for me as a Christian? When I started realizing that there were theories that could help me better connect to other people, I was so excited because I realized I could better connect my generation to the church. And to God who has absolutely transformed and changed my life, right? I don't think it's that people don't want theology. I think it's that we have really poor communication as Christians often. It's true. um, That is hindering the gospel that was supposed to set us free. It's true. Right? And so here's one example. We don't win arguments. We win affection. I teach persuasion. A lot of times what we do when we want to convince somebody of our point Right? All lives matter, black lives matter. Guns, no guns. Whatever point it is, whatever argument you're trying to make, you think if I just give you all the stats and figures, you'll get it. That's not how we work. We actually don't care about stats and figures at all. We don't win arguments, we win affection. Wow. How should that change the way I communicate? How should that change the way I talk to you about God? Wow. What if you don't win an argument with somebody's head about who God is? What if you win their affection first? That's good. And now I'm able to even receive what you're saying to me.
0: That's good. So
1: yeah, there's so many things in calm theory that I think would be so helpful and I believe has been helpful to my students at least in how we share the gospel.
0: That is so good. And I think even just as a mom of a... 19 month old it's interesting that even you saying that i'm thinking about that in our situation with me parenting her um i don't know maybe you know this because you study stuff like this but um I've heard it said that whenever a child gets so upset, it, they're, like, they're so upset that they can't even, like their brain shuts off to being able to like compute what you're saying. So basically the other day I'm telling honey, sit down on your booty. Sit down on your booty. If you do not sit down, like you are, like you, she was supposed to be in timeout. She would not sit down. She's so out of it, crying so hard that like she couldn't yeah. hear anything I was saying. And um, I realized, like, okay, she's not, like, getting it when I'm, like, saying, like, a direct, like, you have to do this. But, like, if I say, hey, like, here's the thing. You tried to do this, and that was going to hurt you, you know? And I just start, like, loving on her and, like, being a little bit sweeter in the way that I'm, I'm kind of more winning her affection, but also disciplining her and and at the same sense. It's like she's able to understand a little bit better. And so that's really interesting because I feel like toddlers teach us a lot about the nature of who we are. And so, like, yes. our – instinct is to like you know resist like when someone's telling you like you should believe this or you should do this or whatever. But when you see somebody loves you and they care for you and it's like this whole different way of receiving something. And so that is so cool just hearing that while I'm watching myself parent, you know, a nineteen month old who doesn't know how to control all of her emotions yet. That's so interesting. Um gosh communication is, is such an interesting topic I feel like you're right. I feel like we don't understand uh, probably half of it whenever you start to explain I have a question that I'm curious about so my husband um he would say he's not great at communication compared to me he's always like well you are a professional communicator so it's not yeah, fair yeah. you say things better than I do or whatever even in an argument or whatever because um, I'll be like I wish you would have said it like this you know and he's like well sorry that I can't form my words perfectly or whatever and I shouldn't put the pressure on him to do that but do you think that like obviously some people are gifted in communication but do you think that everyone can learn communication and grow in it whether you're extrovert introvert whether you have this personality or that personality are there actual things that you can learn in or do you think it's like well some people just are naturally that way
1: so the first day of class what i have my students do is write their name using their opposite hand and typically when they do that it's very difficult And they look at it and I'm like, show somebody. And it's like, awkward. I'm embarrassed. This looks stupid, right? It actually makes me uncomfortable to show you that I wrote this. And I tell them, but if you were to go home every single day for the next 15 weeks and write for 20 minutes with that opposite hand, by the end of the semester, you would be ambidextrous. Wow. It's a learned behavior. We understand now through neuroscience, that it's plasticity of the brain, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Hmm. We all actually, the the human brain is about two to three pounds. I'm filled with useful, useless information. By the way. I love um, it. Three to four pounds. It's the size of a softball. And yet it has the capacity to learn something new every second of every minute of every hour of every day for the next 300 million years. Wow. I tell my students, never say you can't. Wow. And just say, I'm not interested. Hmm.
0: That's so good. You know, that makes me think about, and I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I was on your Instagram. I was actually on your um, page with your best friend and everything was just really funny. And I'm reading all these memes and gifts. And then I see a picture of you and your grandpa and it's um. your wedding day. And I'm like, this is so cute. And it was just a different looking post in your feed. So I stopped and I couldn't stop reading it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like everybody in the world needs to see this post. It was so good. And um, it was along the lines of you can teach an old dog new tricks. And so do you want to share a little bit about that? Because I think that that is one of the most impactful things I've read on the topic on social media. It was really cool. Yeah.
1: So my grandfather did not go to my parents' wedding. I'm biracial. My mom is white. My dad is black. And when my grandparents found out that my mom was in a relationship, my dad was in Broadway. That's how they met. He was in Jesus Christ Superstar. um, And she was his waitress, actually, before the show. And he gave her tickets. Anyway, they met. He goes back to New York City. They're dating kind of long distance. And when so he'd been calling on the phone. And so my grandparents knew that she was talking to somebody from New York. Um, When they found out he was black, though, they told her, your stuff's on the sidewalk. Like, if You, you are absolutely not pursuing this relationship. Um, and so she did. She left. At 18 years old, she went, um, bought a one-way ticket and moved to New York City. Has been with my dad for, I don't know, over 30 years now at this point. But that same person who didn't go to my own parents, to his own daughter's wedding, walked me down the aisle in mine to my dad, who is a minister and married us. Um, my grandfather was one of the greatest men I ever knew, carried my first book around in the back of his pants I love that. and would literally like every time he went to the diner and have coffee with it, he'd pull it out and just be like, oh, my granddaughter wrote this book. I mean, just the greatest cheerleader of my life. And it is so hard for my brain to even compute that he's the same man who didn't go to his own daughter's wedding. And so in that story, I'm just saying grace often belongs to people who don't deserve it. mm mm-hmm. That's why it's grace. And my parents, my grandparents obviously repented and changed. My parents were able to accept that apology Mm -hmm. and change. And it changed my life because I grew up with my grandpa as another male figure in my life. That's powerful. That's why I can call off my
0: wedding engagement because I know what
1: real men look like. Yeah, that's
0: powerful. Yeah, that is so powerful. When I read that, I was like, that is so powerful. Everybody needs to read this because I love how like the forgiveness of your parents played such a huge part in that as well. And like one, his heart had to change, but then they had to forgive. And that was just so huge. And I know in the book you talk about forgiveness and you talk about how, you know, some relationships aren't ideal, but you have to push through. And be in relationship. And that's a lot of what the book is talking about. So, we already talked about the relationships you know you need to get out of. And there's a time and a place to get out. But then there's also something to, you know, having that um, forgiveness and resilience to stay to the next day. And so, how do you fight? And how do you know, like, okay, this relationship I need to get out of, and this is a relationship I need to fight for?
1: Yeah. So, here's the story I tell in the beginning of the book. I had a friend, one of my best friends, actually, she sent me a screenshot of a conversation she was having with somebody, and she forgot to crop out what she had said right above. So she was trying to show me what the person responded, but I saw what she had said to preempt this conversation, and I was really offended that... It seemed like she was almost digging for something negative about me. And I sent that screenshot to one of my best friends named Jewel, who I've known since third grade. And I said, like, I should call her out, right? Like, this is wrong. She's talking about me. And my Jewel was like, yeah, you can do that. You have grounds. And then she goes, or you could choose to look at this incident in the scheme of the 10-plus-year friendship you have, and you could decide, is this an incident or is this a pattern? Hmm. Because incidents, I think Heather can be forgiven. Patterns absolutely should be broken, but which is this? Hmm. And so I never said anything to this friend about how I felt when I saw it. And I've never had another incident. Wow. That's right. Good. So this is my, I think in this is a communication thing, but people will use words toxic. We say everybody's toxic right now. And Words mean things, Yeah, right? Like there's toxic means that every time I take a drink of this water, every time I'm in this relationship, I'm being poisoned. Wow. Every time. I think often somebody, maybe there's poison in the well one time and the person has done the work and they've excavated it and they've taken, and they're sorry. And they've tried to remove the poison. It's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. But every time I'm around you, I say, well, they're toxic because of this one thing that they did. I think we have to be careful because the only thing you will ever have in common with every single person around you is that neither of you will be perfect. Yeah, that's good. And in that, how do we not approach? I've been the bad friend, Sadie. Yeah. I've been yeah. the jealous friend. I've been the bitter friend. And I'm so grateful that I have friends like Jewel and Scarlett, who you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. who will forgive me for that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's not patterns, but there has been incidents where I have messed
0: up. Gosh, that is so good. I love that concept. And it's actually fresh with me. Uh, Me and my friend just had uh, an incident moment where I had the incident and it was such a good conversation because we never had a hiccup before. Great friends. Love her. She loves me. Always trust each other's intention. Never had any drama. And um, recently she felt like I wasn't, you know, um, giving my all, I guess, in our friendship. She felt like I wasn't, I was just not kind of showing up for the way that she wanted me to show up. And it kind of came from, it was a day that was meant for her and I was a little bit more distant and she was offended by that. And so she got upset and it was this whole thing. Um, but I was telling her, you know, I was actually, the truth is, and I was embarrassed to say, it, I was like, I was actually just having a lot of pregnancy pains and I didn't want to say it to anybody. So I was just hiding in the back and more just taking some time for myself because I was just trying to feel better. But my lack of being in the room looked like I was just uninterested in her day, not celebrating her. But in reality, I just was having pregnancy pain. So I was just in the back. But I didn't right. tell her that. I didn't say, like, oh, I'm not really feeling well. I just sat in the back. And... um. So anyways, a couple days go by, and she brings this up. And one of the things she said was, it was making me question our friendship. And I just said, friend, like, I hope that that does not make you question our friendship. And I said in all honesty, I just didn't feel good. And I should have said that to you that I didn't feel good, but I don't want in the future for something that's an incident to like make you question like our whole friendship. And so, of course, I didn't say it like an incident because I didn't have the language for it till you just shared that. But I think that that's so good because we've had no patterns of that in our relationship. Right. So what would make it go from one moment to questioning everything? And so I do think that sometimes like, because you know maybe we don't have the language of incident and pattern because we haven't thought about that like one thing becomes like a dramatic thing or a big thing like you said it's all toxic when it's really not it could be one moment and just choosing to trust the other person's intentions is so huge and I just I think that's so good I love how you talk about in the book how life is like done so much better whenever you do it as a team and you use basketball as a reference, which I love basketball. And you talk about how like the bench is a gift. Like having a bench is like such a mm-hmm. gift to go like be able to sit on the bench. And you know what hit me when I read that was I used to be embarrassed whenever I was benched. You know, like if, if my wow. coach took me out and put me on the bench, I'd be like, like, why am I sitting here? Like, I need to go back out and play. But in reality, like, I needed to sit there and rest for a minute. I needed to catch my breath. I needed to get water. But I looked at it as an embarrassment and not as like an encouragement thing, as a time to rejuvenate myself. And I think, in the same way, like, sometimes we see that in life. Like, we think it's like an embarrassment, an embarrassing thing to have to like ask for help or need someone yeah. else. Um, when in reality, that's such a gift. And so, um, man, I just, I, I love everything you wrote on the idea of becoming more together in friendship, Um, which leads me to the fact that you and your best friend started a whole platform together. And I think that's super cool that you wrote a book with your husband, you have a platform with your best friend, and you surround yourself in relationship. Um, Yeah. What is the importance of that? Do you do that intentionally or is it an overflow of who you are?
1: I think it's an overflow. And I'm also, I recognize I'm really lucky. I mean, I... I still have my best friend from third grade. I just talked to her on the phone for like two hours Saturday night. I have cool. known Scarlett. I actually dated her brother. That's how we met when I was 15. And him and I broke up. And it was, I almost felt bad for him at the wedding because it's like, I've been here. This <laughs> and he was probably like, we broke up, get out of my life. And I'm still here with his sister as her maid of honor. We've been best friends since I was 15 years old. So I have, and then my sister, I have a lot of friends that I've had for many, many years. And And that's the point, right, is, You don't get to have relationships that span decades without forgiving incidents. It's not possible.
0: That's the reality of long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. It's good. That's true, man. That's so good. I want to bring up one topic that you write about. Um, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. Oh, You would talk about weak ties and casual connections and how they can be just as important as strong ties. Talk to me about that idea.
1: Yeah, so this one also is one that I've gotten some pushback on where people are like, but I find it to be very freeing because one of the number one things my students say to me, because I do this blog with my best friend is they say, I want my Scarlet. I want my best friend. I don't have a best friend. And what I tell them is the value is in relationship. Human beings are wired to exist in relationship. So how do you start prioritizing what relationships you do have instead of looking for the one that perhaps you're missing? That's good. And so we know, you know from research, this is like, this isn't new, but for some reason when I call it weak ties, people are like, what do you mean it is quantity over quality? Well, we've known for years that people who are a part of church are healthier and happier and have longer lives. We've known that. People that do CrossFit, people that are part of dance team or community choir or bowling leagues, you have a healthier, happier life. And what that is, is weak tie networks. Mm-hmm. I tell my students, if you walk from from the cafeteria to my class across campus and three different people say hi to you, even if they're not your best friends, but they say hi, you automatically feel safer and like you belong That's on this good. campus. yeah. And the good thing of that, Sadie, is we have to stop thinking that our lives don't matter And don't make a massive impact in the people that we're interacting with. It's good. When I go to my diner, this is absolutely true. When I go to my diner in my small town, her name is Shirley, the waitress there. (laughs) I love it. And Shirley says, Heather, you haven't been here all week. I feel seen. Wow. And I feel like I belong. Yep. Shirley, who is getting, I pay her to be nice to me, (laughs) right? But she knows my name. It makes me feel like I belong and I keep coming back. How do we recognize just
0: the power of social
1: presence?
0: Wow. That is so good. I love that so much. I want every one of my friends to hear that. I want everybody listening to hear that. We have so many college students listening to this and um what I've found to be a struggle for this generation and I think um, or that age group especially and I think it has to do with a lot of social media and a lot of um relationship shows and everything is that like the desire for a husband is so strong which is a beautiful desire in and of itself but whenever it is so strong that they think like they have to get married and until they're married then what's their purpose and until they're married then nothing matters and all this stuff and I think what it what it does is because they feel like oh I don't have a husband they miss like everything that they actually do have around them and I've actually told a few girls who have worked for me um, I've had a couple girls who have moved here to work for me and we live in a small town so when girls work for LO they have to move to West Monroe and I've heard three different people say, you know, I'm just scared. I'm never going to find a husband here. It's too small of a town. And I always encourage them and I say, friend, I really hope you can surrender that fear to the Lord because that fear of not finding your husband will take you out of this job. It will take you out of this community It will take because I've seen it before. Because when you get so fixated on this one thing you don't have, you miss everything that you do have. And I have found that normally when you surrender this idea to God and say, God, I desire this, but it's going to come your timing typically that's really when the husband comes you know Um, and that's what it was for me is like when I finally was like hey I'm just thankful for where I'm at I literally met Christian on the beach the next day on vacation you know and so again that doesn't happen all the time but I do think that sometimes we say like oh we want a best friend and we don't have a best friend we don't have anybody we want a husband we don't have a husband we don't have anything you know but actually there's so many people around you that love you and community is so strong and you can find that love from relationships Um, in other ways. And so I I love that message. I think what you're saying is so good.
1: Can I tag on what you just said? Because one of the things I put in this book, and I, I intentionally put it in because of the exact conversation you're bringing up, is biologically we process romantic love and friendship love and familial love all the same way. Really? So people, it is only like the hallmark romance industry that makes you believe that if you don't have romantic love, you've never experienced love at all. That's not true. Biologically, the hormones that come in love are processed in your body the exact same way. So you can have a
0: very fulfilling, loving life, Christian in community. Wow. I love that. That's so good. Gosh, I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad people are going to hear that. I think that's going to free so many people in this fear that they're missing out on this, you know, huge thing in life, and they've never felt love. And, you know, not that again, that's not a good desire to have, but you can feel love. And so I just that is awesome. That's so good. I mentioned social media, and we talked about social media a lot on my podcast with you because we were talking about my book. But have you noticed just in teaching communication a difference in the way we communicate since social media has began? Um, what are your views on social media as far as good communication goes through it and bad communication? And just give a little bit of advice and guidance when it comes to all things social media, which I think you crush because you do have a blog, you have a podcast, you have Instagram. I mean, it seems like you're doing a pretty good job with social media.
1: <laughs> you know, um, I would just say as far as Guidelines is this is just true of social media in general. Social media, the first word is social. Social media is meant to be social. It's about building relationship, and I think if we go back to using it as a tool to better connect with others, it's often become today like a, a form of me broadcasting where I'm not actually. In, so what? It, so the definition of narcissism is that we don't want love; we want adoration. Well. Wow. And so my fear for myself, I'm talking to Heather, and if it fits, put it on to whoever's listening. My fear is that if I don't use social media as a tool to gain relationship and connection, I'm literally training myself in narcissistic tendencies and behaviors because Mm. I'm not looking for relationship and I'm just looking for adoration. Wow. And I think that that's hard as a Christian. Mm. So there's so much to balance there, but I would just say... Also, be aware that you, the closest to God somebody else may ever get is you.
0: Yep. And
1: somebody is defining their idea of who God is based on what you post and what you say mm-hmm. and how you interact with others because you're the only Christian that they know. Yeah. So, unfortunately and fortunately, how do we take ownership and accountability of what it even means?
0: Hmm.
1: Words mean things. Yep. What does it even mean to say, Spin. I'm a Christian? It's good. And how do we actually truly, uh, uh, Ephesians four, Paul says, I urge you to live a calling worthy of the calling you have been called. And what does that look like? He says, in all humility. It's good. Bearing with one another, making every effort to make the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's what it means to be a Christian. This is not an easy call today, where it is so much easier to say, I'm, you're canceled, you're blocked, you're mute. Right. What does it mean to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace? Wow. That's what it means. Wow. How many of us are actually living out what it means to follow
0: Christ? Words mean things. Good. Gosh, that's so good. I have never thought about that when it comes to gaining love or admiration in the sense of you're literally um, training yourself in narcissism, that is such a convicting way of looking at it. And so true. And, uh, man, that's what I always try, you know, even when people say, you know, are you famous or whatever? I always say famous to some, not to others, or they call them fans and I call them <laughs> friends. And, you know, I'm just yep. like, you know, don't put that on me, you know, because, that, that makes me not feel human. You know, I want to mm. feel human. Like you're not a fan. You are a friend. Like you are, um, you know, it doesn't famous. What does that even mean? Like, you just know me and I hope to know you, you know, you just have a way, way more of a head start on knowing stuff about me, but I'll start right now. And so I just think that sometimes like maybe the world is set up in some sense to give praise, Um, or too much glory to certain people. But I think that if you're in the position, like you do have – a part to play in it. Like you can choose to receive that um, in the sense of like, look at me, I'm awesome, I'm great, I'm going to receive it all. Or you can choose to like deflect it to the glory of God and say like, yep. you know what, like that that praise is for God, but like I can be your friend, you know? And so I do think that we have a part of receiving it and we have a part of giving it. Like are we going to try to receive love? Are we going to just try to receive likes? Are we going to give, yeah. you know, out um, this idea of we're awesome or we're going to give out this idea? idea of somebody, a God loves you, you know? And yeah. I do think it's cool and it's so true that you can be the connection... To Jesus, like some, you might be the only person that they follow that is a Christian, and that light like, could lead them to the love of God. I've had so many people say not that my podcast, you know, changed their life, but that my podcast led them to knowing about who Jesus is, and that changed their life. And so, yes. I just think that it's so powerful that we can use that as a tool. Um, I saw a video of you talking about words, and you talked about, you know, your words carry the power of life and death. Your tongue holds that power. It talks about that in Proverbs. Um, Mm. Talk to me a little bit about that, because you mentioned words a lot in this. Just through your studies of communication and through the study of the Bible, like, what have you found uh, with words that really is so impactful?
1: It's funny that you ask that, because I'm very passionate about this very topic. Because, okay, so for example, um, in Christianity, we use words like righteousness. Mm -hmm. Nobody stops to ask what that word means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? What does righteous? We will say, like, oh, I want you to live a righteous life. What does that mean? That's good. Yeah. How do you define the terms? And the word righteousness, it comes from the Hebrew word sadaka. And what it means is living in right relationship Hmm. with God and each other. And again, that's the entire Ten Commandments. First four, love to God, last six. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. That's all. Love each other. Love each other. Love each other. Hmm. Love each other. Love God. Love man. That's the law. Righteousness is to live out the law. Hmm. Love God. Love each other. That's good. Right. But if we're not defining the term, so this is this is another thing in communication is ninety percent of the time when you say the word God, you have something entirely different in mind than me. Ninety percent wow. of the time, even when we're from the same denomination. And Sadie, do we, at least I, okay, I will only put this on me. I have argued with my non-believing friends, argued till two in the morning in my living room. How could you not believe in God? I never stopped to ask what that word means wow. to them. What is the God they don't believe in? Is it God that I don't believe in either? Wow. Right? Yeah. But because I never defined the term. We don't realize that we're actually arguing about a meaning that that both of us would agree on. So in communication, we call it bypassing. Hmm. And so a sin is another one. What does don't live a life of sin? What does sin mean? Hmm. It comes from the word hamartia, and it means literally somebody with a bow and arrow to hit the mark. Wow. Living a life of sin means to miss your mark. Wow. What does that look like for me every day? So every day, my first prayer when I wake up open my eyes. I say, God, I give you this day and all that is in it. Help me to walk into your light. All I'm saying is I'm surrendering my will to you. Help me to hit my mark. It's good. So I tell my students, sometimes they'll be like, I don't know what God wants me to do. He wants you to go to class. He wants you (laughs) to hit your mark. What's in your hand right now, sweetheart? That's it. Talk to the person in the lunch line, right? Because when we don't look here, sin is believing your life has no meaning. Wow. It means that the mark could be here or here or here. I don't know. I don't care. That's a life of sin. Yeah. How do we start wi- living every single day and saying, I'm here with purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm not just a person. I'm a plan. Mm-hmm. And this life matters. And I'm encountering, I'm getting to co-labor with God. I'm passing this person on purpose. Good. How does that change the way I relate to you now? That's how we start living with righteousness, love to God and love to each other and also avoiding a life of sin. So there's so many different things like that in communication where I say, what does that word mean to you? It's good. What does that look like?
0: gosh I'm gonna start studying my words I, lo- I actually love <laughs> I actually love studying words like I love looking up like what's the meaning of this word or if I'm preaching something I just like want to know the meaning or whatever and yes, sometimes I'll, I'm so glad you do that I love that and sometimes I'll even read definitions during my sermon then I'm like I feel like everybody actually knows what this means but I'm just gonna tell you because it's yep. so much more powerful when you understand the fullness of it and so I I'm a word geek too so I love hearing this and like even you sin I didn't I didn't know that sin was to miss the mark and Honestly, like that is that is such a good way of saying it. I love how you said when people ask you like what does God want me to do? It's like he wants you to hit the mark. Like I love that, like go to class, show up, do your thing. Because we think God wants to do these big things. And like, no, God is just asking you to like hit the mark. That is so Good. Gosh, I love this conversation so much. You know, I got called out for this a couple weeks ago on my podcast, and it was funny that she called me out for it because my friends call me out for this all the time. They say I had this thinking face, and they're like, you're doing your thinking face. Like, what are you thinking about? And I have had to like intentionally tell myself, like, do not do the (laughs) thinking face on this podcast because everything you're saying just provokes so much thought in me. I'm like, gosh, this is so good. I want to go study. I want to go learn. And I love when I talk to people that make me want to go learn more. And one, about yeah. the Bible, about communication, about everything. So this has been so encouraging. Um, I want to ask you just about the book. Um, you know, you, this is your seventh book. That's a lot of books to write. And it is. sometimes, you know, I, even to think about writing one book is intimidating, but to write seven is is very intimidating. But I love that God just continues to give you a message to start writing the seventh book, what was it about the book that you're like? This is what I feel like people need to hear, and this is why I'm writing another book right now. I mean, maybe it's just as simple as look at the title, look at the message. But was there something in you that you're like, no, people really need to hear this?
1: Yeah, um, I was watching Save the Last Dance, hmm. the Michael Jordan documentary. That's where the title That's came so from. Good. So before the Bulls became the Bulls um they're playing against or they finally make it to the playoffs they're playing Orlando Magic and they lose and there's this scene and save the last and save the dance what is it the last dance, the last dance. not dance. save the, the last dance. dance that's that old movie no the last, dance, the last dance, dance with michael jordan um they're all everybody's walking off the court because it's the end of the season and they lost go home and the trainer turns to michael jordan and says hey just let me know when i'll see you meaning like let me know what month you want to come back to start training and and jordan turns to him and says I'll see you tomorrow.
0: It's good.
1: And so I was thinking, man, the reason Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan is because when everybody else went home, he didn't see it as a finite game. Yeah. He saw it as an infinite season. Wow. Where you keep coming back. And I lost this game, but there's next season. Yeah. Right. And so I was thinking, man, what if we lived our lives that way? Wow.
0: That is so good. I love that so much. I just read a quote from Michael Jordan recently. He was talking about all the shots he missed and all yes! the all, Oh my gosh, it's so good. He was talking about all the times like 26 times the game shot was on him and 26 times he failed, you know, and all these different things. And he said, but it's because of how much I've failed that's made me succeed. And I was like, yep. that is so good. And it's so true. Like showing up tomorrow, it takes um, courage to do that. It takes humility to do that sometimes when you have a day of loss, but showing up tomorrow is really what gets you to even the next day and the next season and the next thing and stronger. And I can say that, like, it's so weird how life is how, and I think this is why I love that verse, like your mercies are new every morning because Because one day can truly be, like, a terrible day. But, like, if you hang on to tomorrow, there is so much hope for tomorrow. I was just telling a friend that recently because they're just going through a lot and it just seems like the future's far, you know what I mean? Like the future yes. of getting out of what they're in. And I said, I know it doesn't seem like there's a way out of this, but like there truly is hope for tomorrow. Like just hang on. Like, and especially a person of prayer, like you never know how God's going to intervene tomorrow. Yes. You know, just like your story, you didn't know that God was going to intervene hours later with, seth calling you like what? Yes. and so i just love that that you just I, I heard it so one time like the scariest place to be is like in a place without hope like it, and it's so mm-hmm. true like just always hanging on that hope and this book is filled with that and just ways to actually get you there so well done i love it last question i want to ask you is you have a podcast viral jesus yeah um, where where the title come from that what's your heartbeat behind that because i think it's just such a such a great concept Yeah. So
1: some of it just came from, um, I ended up going viral like 13 times in a single year. I went in one year from a thousand or 800 followers to like 60,000 on my Twitter. And I was like, how do we make Jesus go viral? Like, how do I use this? How do I use this new platform that I have all of a sudden to share the gospel that has literally transformed my entire life down to the person that I am married to. Right. And so we just try to train Christians on how to make Jesus go viral, how to live out your faith because words mean things.
0: I love it so much. Well, you're such a huge inspiration. I'm sure everyone listening has learned so much. I've learned so much sitting here at this end of the table and just so thankful for your ministry, who you are, how well-spoken you are. And, um, I mean, I feel like, being your student would be the greatest thing because you're such a good teacher and so thank you for teaching us today um like i said if you are following her if you're not following her go check out all of her things she has heather thompson day instagram she has um i'm just gonna read it so i don't miss anything i'm that wife which is an online community and an instagram account like i said it's very funny uh, viral jesus and a new book out called i'll see you tomorrow with her husband and so thank you for all that you do super inspired by you and thank you for being on the podcast. My honor. Thanks for having me.